Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning and thank you for joining in with us as we gather for worship in spirit this morning. Would you join me as we share in our affirmation of faith? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and in the life everlasting. Amen.
never-ending wave I am swept away Holy Spirit come Good morning and thank you for joining me as we turn to God's Word and as we learn how to become disciples and to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Today is the day of Pentecost. It is a great day in the life of the churches. It is the day that we remember and recognize the birth of the church as we know it now. Um, when I grew up, I grew up in a tradition that didn't really put much emphasis on Pentecost as a yearly celebration. We would talk about it as just another moment in Scripture when God was working through the life of Jesus Christ in order to grow disciples, but we never celebrated it, like I said, as a yearly tradition. So when I came to the Methodist Church and the strong emphasis was put on Pentecost, I, it really changed a lot about how I understood faith and what it meant to be a believer. And what it did for me was it allowed me to realize that God had never intended my walk with Him to be based on my own ability to be obedient. Growing up as a teenager and even as a young adult, I had always seen churches this thing where each week we need to go and we need to hear the Word of God and get our marching orders for the week. And then it was up to how I responded in that week whether or not I was... Um, able to receive the goodness and the, the grace of Jesus. And I found myself oftentimes wondering uh, whether or not I was truly saved because I had fallen short uh, the week before. I had not done something that the preacher had laid out for me the week before. But as I grew up and I, I came to the Methodist Church and we learned about Pentecost, I realized that one of the greatest things that Jesus Christ did for us as disciples is that he made it to where it's not about us, and it's not about our own abilities to be obedient to the words of God because He gave us a helper that goes with us, that allows us to feel and understand the conviction that comes from God's Word. And I don't mean just conviction as in like we're doing bad, but the conviction that comes from this is who God has told me I am because of salvation through Jesus Christ. And what I began to realize is that I was no longer afraid of my salvation. I was no longer ashamed when I, when I fell short. But then I found out that the walk also became easier. And that as I realized that it was the Holy Spirit who leads us to repentance, the Holy Spirit who walks with us and helps us to be obedient, that following the Word of God and understanding the Word of God and, and the reason behind those words became easier. So for me, Pentecost is a, a celebration. It's a day of trusting that God is better and bigger and more knowledgeable than I am. And I know that's a, a revelation to so many people because we think it all depends on us. But the reality of it is, is that God has told us if we will trust Him, if we will believe what has happened through the work of Jesus Christ, then He will provide the power, He will provide the muscle that is necessary to live as a disciple. So if you have your Bibles with me today, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to jump over to Paul's writing uh, to the church at Rome. But first, I want you to open your hearts with me as we go to God in prayer. Would you join me? Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for each opportunity where we are able to gather together as believers. Even though we're not gathering together in person, we're gathering together in spirit, and we know that your spirit rests with us and your spirit walks with us. God, as we open your word right now, God, speak to our hearts. Allow us to hear you. Allow us to know you. Allow our faith to grow and may we understand and realize the words that you spoke and you wrote are for our good. Be with us now in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. 
When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound like that of a rushing violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under God. And when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because of each one that heard them speaking in their own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said they were all drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay close attention to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this was what was spoken first through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on those servants in those days, both men and women, and they shall prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon will turn to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with signs, miracles, wonders that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves have known and witnessed. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. But even still God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held up by death. This is what David said of him. I saw the Lord ever before me because he was at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. So therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. Decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me, and you have filled me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to send one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what is to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. For God has raised this Jesus, and you and I are all witnesses to this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out on you both what you see and hear, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but it was him who self had said, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my, your footstool. Therefore let all in the house of Israel know with, know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, each of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your, for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and in the day about 3,000 people were added to them. Each one devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. All the believers were together and held all things in common, and they sold their possessions, property, and distributed everything so that any who had need would have. Each day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So before we jump over into Paul's uh, testimony in Romans, I want to break down this passage of Acts and what happened here at this Pentecost moment. Um, you know, we really don't think of Pentecost as coming from the Old Testament, but in reality, this was a Jewish culture that we had first heard about in Leviticus chapter 23. It is something that God gave the Jewish people in order to help them remember who they were and who they were now because of what God had done in their life, the way that they had been uh, brought to freedom and liberation through God moving and working through their spirit. It was originally an agricultural festival where they celebrated the end of the grain harvest. And in Leviticus, we see where God had told them the things that they needed to bring before the altar and the things that they needed to sacrifice in order to be reminded of what they had once experienced before God came. And so uh, throughout the Old Testament, there are several places where we see the events that are happening here on this Pentecost day um, being portrayed in different events. Uh, fire on, on Mount Sinai showing the presence of God. Uh, the Lord descending as fire all throughout the book of Exodus. And then in Genesis, the confusion of the languages at Babel where God took the people that were gathered and gave each one of them a different tongue to speak so that their collectiveness apart from God could not lead them into trouble. Um, there's social media for you right there. When we take out um, the ability of God to be in our midst and we're able to join together with immediacy a, a before uh, allowing God to speak in us, there you have that. It's right there. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, we see where God was reminding the people of their time in captivity and was calling them to celebrate their liberation. So here on this Pentecost morning, and Pentecost actually means 50. Um, it is, it's in, in that original language, it means 50. So here on this Pentecost morning, 50 days after the Passover meal, where the disciples were already in Jerusalem and where all the Jewish people were gathered in Jerusalem, this is the moment where the Holy Spirit was given to the people to lead them to the conviction of their sins so that they would turn to God and to repentance and to show them the reality that was possible through the forgiveness of Jesus or the forgiveness through Jesus Christ for them. So turn with me now to Romans and we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read there the first 17 verses for you. And that's really where I want us to focus at today as Paul testifies about what it means to have this new life in the Spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit 
of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according any longer to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have made their minds set on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mind set on the flesh is one set on death, but the mind that is set on the Spirit is found in life and in peace. The mind set on flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law, but indeed it is unable to do so. Yet those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are no longer in the flesh, but you are found in the Spirit. And indeed, if the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to God. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death, the deeds of the body you will live. For all those who led God's Spirit are God's Son. For you did not receive it a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, and if we are heirs of God, then we are co-heirs of Christ. And if indeed we suffer with him in this life, we may be glorified with him. So this for me was the passage that showed me the difference in trying to be a disciple according to the things that I could do and then understanding what it means to be a child of God according to the things that Jesus Christ did for me. As I told you, I always grew up going to church not feeling quite good enough, like I wasn't holy, like I was fake, like I was living a life differently than all the other people who were gathered in church. And what came with that was this life of constant conviction, this life of constantly trying to do better, this life of constantly trying to make myself fall in line with the things of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and each time feeling as though I had failed and I was, no, um, I was not good enough to be able to be a Christian or to sit in this church. So as I read these words of Paul growing up and as I pondered them, uh, the Holy Spirit just brought me to a moment where I realized that God did not save us in order to bring us to a new life of rules and regulations, but God created us as a new being. And all the things that Jesus tells us about in his word are to help us realize this new life, this new thing that is within us that gives us hope that gives us an assurance of salvation, and that gives us the ability to read the words of God as they are our identity, and they're not a to-do list that we could never measure up to. So here in the Holy Spirit being given, Paul says, therefore, and you know I love the word therefore in Scripture, because we have just been revealed something about God's Spirit for us. And in chapter 7, Paul talks about how the sin within us 
is no longer who we are, but it's part of our sinful nature. But yet the Holy Spirit in the giving of salvation through Jesus Christ was able to overcome those things. And so when we experience shame in falling short of God's um, call to our lives, we can trust that the Holy Spirit, and we can trust that Christ's sacrifice was able to fill in that gap. And that salvation is an ongoing thing. So the things that we weren't able to undo immediately, the things that we weren't able to get away from immediately, Christ is still working in our lives. Perhaps there's a sin nagging in your life that you have prayed for God to deliver you from. You have prayed for God to deliver you from. What Paul is saying here is that hope and faith is trusting that even the things that we can't get rid of in our lives now, that God has called us to fight the battle, that God has called us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but to trust that God will one day free us from those things and that God will one day do away with our sinful nature and completeness and holiness. And so here, Paul is talking about this new life and this work of sanctification that is done through the giving of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that gives life. So the question that we have to ask ourselves as we read this passage is where do we live our Christian life from? Do we live it from an understanding of victory through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Creator God working in our lives? Or do we live our Christian walk in defeat, always feeling as though we can't measure up, always feeling as though we are never able to fulfill the things that Scripture calls us to do? And that understanding is essential for us in realizing what faith in Jesus Christ is and what the work of the Holy Spirit has come to do in our life. And it starts out with where are we trying to go? Where are we headed? Are we seeking to live in the freedom and the happiness and in the joy and in the blessing of God in this life? Or are we fearfully trying to make it through this life focused solely on the next life? Because Jesus was very clear that the salvation he offered brought the kingdom of God to the here and now. And we are able to live in the fullness of God in the fellowship with other people in the presence of God in the life here and now. And so while we know that sin brings death for eternity, as disciples of believers, we can rejoice in salvation that has happened now. And we don't have to wait for eternity to experience the goodness of God, but yet we can experience God's goodness here and now. But it all comes with understanding where we are headed. And if we are trying to live our discipleship solely for the life that is to come, we're going to struggle, we're going to feel convicted, we're going to feel shameful, we're never going to feel good enough in this life because we're trying to do it on our own power instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to the next thing is what do we depend on? Do we depend on the workings of Christ in our life and the leading of this given Holy Spirit, this helper, this counselor that was given to help us to discern and to understand as in realizing what God was saying throughout the words of Scripture? Do we depend on this Holy Spirit to empower us or do we depend on our own obedience to stay away from the things that God has told us are not good for us to take on the things that Jesus has said comes with this new life because there's two modes that we will operate in. We will either operate in the mode of ourselves as sinful beings that will never measure up and will leave us constantly feeling in a place of fear or panic or shame. Or we can trust in what Jesus Christ said, that if we give our lives to Him, and if we trust in Him as our Lord and Savior, that faith in Him alone is what saves us from sin and death, 
and that he has given us this Holy Spirit to help us do something that our sinful natures can't do on our own, that will make the difference in experiencing joy and experiencing faith and being able to live by this word of God that was given to us. And as we've talked about the last several weeks, it really boils down to one thing, is if we're willing to trust God enough to follow what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. So instead of reading these words of Scripture and saying, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, so we go out and do it, as opposed to reading these things and saying, this is who God created me to be, and through Jesus Christ, God made it possible. So I'm going to trust that this Holy Spirit, this helper that God has given, is coming to help me become who Jesus Christ has made possible for me. And so he says here that there's a different way that we set our mind on the things of God. And he said that we must walk according to the spirit that was given by God, the spirit that Jesus Christ lived and ministered with and was able to be obedient with. Or we're going to live according to our flesh. That's entrusting ourselves to be obedient to these words that we read throughout Scripture. And he said that if we have our minds set on the things of the flesh, our ability to do things, then we're going to live according to those things. We're only going to be able to be obedient as we're able to do. And we know throughout all of Scripture that we're not able to live according to the things of God apart from the presence of God that is this Holy Spirit. And he said this mind of the, of the flesh is death. That is important for us to understand because if we go to church each week to receive our marching orders, to receive what we should do in the week to come, we're focused on death, as in if we don't do those things in the week to come, we're going to fall short and we're not going to have our salvation. We're mystically going to lose our salvation. But Paul says that we're no longer under this idea of, of sin and judgment according to the flesh, the things that we do, but we've been given a new life through the giving of this Spirit, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to where we walk by the Spirit and we know that life is what God has intended for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. So despite our inabilities to be obedient, despite our inabilities to get it right, we trust that Jesus Christ is the way that God sees us. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has bought our salvation, has taken our place in judgment, and therefore we are able to live in the Spirit. And he says if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if Christ belongs to you, then your body is dead. You no longer have to worry about your body's ability to be obedient. But we have to trust that we have a spirit of righteousness through what Jesus Christ did. And we have to trust that if the Spirit was able to raise Jesus Christ, the one who took on all of our sin from dead and conquer that, then God raises us to this newness of life to experience the goodness and the faithfulness. And then we jump to the next section to understand the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our, Holy Spirit in our lives. So where Paul says, brothers and sisters... We're not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. The sins that were once in us, we no longer have to satisfy, but we also don't have to overcome them on our own. The, the walk with Christ is not a to-do list where we have to do this and do that, and we've, we realize very quickly that we're never, never able to do that. But he says if you live by the Spirit, then the Spirit will put to death the things of the body, 
and we will experience life. Because if we're led by God's Spirit, if we trust in the words of God, where Jesus said He has freed us from this, where Jesus has called us to be these people, and we trust that is who God has called us to be, we will find life. And he makes sure that he says, God did not give you a spirit to receive a spirit of slavery and fall back into fear that you are not measuring up. Because the reality of it is, brothers and sisters, no matter what you do, you can never be good enough for the grace of God. It was through Jesus Christ alone that God looks at you And he doesn't just look at you as an obedient, faithful follower. But Paul says here that when we cry out, we cry out to God as our Abba, as our Father. Abba is the word for Daddy. It's an intimate term where we are not seeing God as this unreachable thing in which we must reach according to uh, the things laid out before us. But we see it as we are a child of God. And we have that intimate relationship where we can go to Him with anything. And when we fail, we don't come to Him begging for our salvation back. We don't come to Him begging that we would not be put to death, but we realize that He is our Father. And that through the goodness and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can reach up to Him. And He is the most powerful God in all creation. He's sovereign over all things. And because of Jesus Christ, He reaches down to us and He takes us in His arms and He pulls us close and He holds us in the power that comes from Him and the grace that comes from Him and the goodness that comes from Him. And so Jesus gives us the Spirit to testify about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, to set us apart as a new creation with a new purpose for being and for living and to send us out to testify of all the things that Jesus Christ has done. He says that if we are God's children, we're heirs to the things that God has. And just as you live in the blessings of your parents now, and you know that eventually you will have all that they had, that is for us. We are able to live now into the things of God. That is that joy in the midst of sorrow that I talk about all the time. That is that peace in the midst of chaos, and that is that hope in the midst of hopelessness. Faith is not about a marching order that we receive each week when we go to church in order that we obtain or that we measure up in order that we might receive our salvation. But it's entrusting what Jesus Christ did and it's submitting to the words of God and allowing God to move us as we are ready and trusting that even though we are not living up according to what God has done, that we identify the areas of our life that has fallen short and we trust that God has said that those things will be made right because of Christ's sacrifice. So if you are a believer today and you are trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are to testify first and foremost about the salvation that was given to you through the sacrifice sacrifice of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but then also to this newness of life that He has given you how the Holy Spirit has allowed you to overcome certain things, but has also given you an assurance of the things that you have not yet overcome, trusting that Christ has already conquered those, that death has already overcome, that death has already been overcome, excuse me, and that the peace that He gives us 
is a peace that will last no matter what happens in this life. And if you have not yet understood what it means to have a true faith in Jesus Christ, and you're still trying to live according to your ability to be obedient, and you keep finding yourself beat down and full of shame and falling short, understand that that is okay. But that is not the life that Jesus Christ has called you to live. That is not the freedom that Christ has allowed you to live in thinking that you need to do everything on your own, but yet He has made a way for that. So we must trust that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was good enough, that we have been reconciled to God and that God sees us as a child, and that when we read the words of Scripture to the things that God has told for us, they are not things that we are to do, but they were things that who we already are because of Jesus Christ. And we can have freedom in that, and then we realize that the word of Christ is coming alive in our lives, and we have done nothing to make it happen. But if you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, and you have not yet believed the work that he has done for you on the cross, I want to invite you to that today. To realize that you are already headed down a road to death of sin, and it was not an either-or option, but it was already set for you that sin in your life, from your very first breath, was sending you to a place of condemnation and death. But yet the work of Jesus Christ has made it possible so that God sees you again as a child in whom you were originally created. And God invites you to come into this relationship with Him, trusting that He has provided the way for you to experience this newness and this fullness of life so that you don't have to worry about where you are going for eternity any longer. But yet you also do not have to worry about the cares and the frustrations and the chaos of life today. Because God wants to walk with you through the person of Jesus Christ. And God wants to give you an understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to that today. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Jesus Christ who came to take away our sin who came to reconcile us for you. And God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to empower us, that you have given to give us the ability to discern and to understand your words that are beyond our comprehension, and that God gives us the ability to be obedient and to read your word from a place of our identity and not as an unreachable to-do list that we can never measure up to. God, I pray for all that are listening today, that you would help us to experience freedom, that you would help us to experience a newness of life through what you are doing through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, that you would empower us and encourage us to go out and to share the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. As you go out this week, go out knowing that through Jesus Christ you have been called to new life. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been called to do things that you could never imagine you could do. The disciples spoke in foreign languages. They healed people. They cast out demons. And they changed the world through the message of Jesus Christ. And you have been empowered and you have been called and you have been sent to do the same thing. So go out through the power of Jesus Christ who died and who conquered death so that you might be resurrected. Go out in the name of the Father who spoke you into creation and who has called you back to a relationship. And go out in the power of the Holy Spirit who goes with you each and everywhere you go. Amen.